The XFL, primarily player-oriented. Guys looking for opportunities to get to the NFL. Talked about this ad nauseum. Then I had this one team, Houston, as I do all these previews. Houston has an interesting coaching staff. Started with Wade Phillips and his interesting defensive schemes. And then A.J. Smith, who I had known about but not much. And then I did a deep dive. His Aaron Shute, Hell Mummy, and uh, June Jones style of passing offense, which I think could help innovate the game forward. Okay. So to me, they were the coolest schemes and coaching staff, and I sort of knew that right from the beginning when I took a quick glance at all the coaches. I figured this is going to be interesting. The rest of the teams, NFL-oriented, even a guy like Bob Stoops is a college guy and run power spread. He ended up using the Hay brothers, the Hayes brothers, who spent a long time with both with the Bengals and the Chiefs, and it's a heavy pro style compared to the way Stoops was doing stuff in college. Okay, So a lot of pro style. Anthony Beck blatantly says it. Hey, we're doing pro all the way. This is all about getting these guys to the NFL. So that's it. Okay, But Houston's a little different, and I think that will help them this year. I picked them to win that division. And, and the two teams in that division as the playoff contender, Houston and Arlington for me. Well, in the Northern Division, I like St. Louis and Seattle, as I've already said. And I don't I haven't hit up Orlando yet. I'll do that podcast, but I'm I already I can tell you I'm not as much into Orlando and I think San Antonio later, like next year could be great. Okay. Where's DC? The DC defenders fit in all this. I figured a little bit like the Vipers, you know, in that area and just, you know, not really gonna see much of them this year yet. That was just because, you know, Reggie Barlow, another, you know, NFL player who was trying to be a head coach now. Okay. Well, I was wrong. The biggest surprise to me in all my previews, like I told you, Houston was different, but I kind of knew that was coming. Did not expect that from the D.C. defenders. I look at Barlow, and I see, you know, he played for the Jaguars. I knew that. Really good kick returner, receiver as well. Smaller guy, but, you know, good dude. All right. Then I look and see where he's coached. Well, he has more coaching experience than, like, Heinz Ward and Anthony Beck and some of these guys, Ron Woodson. He actually was a head coach. A lot of these guys weren't even close to that. But they were for Alabama State. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so he went to Alabama State. That's right, HBCU school. Well, this opened a can of worms for me. Because when I looked at who his offensive coordinator was, Fred Kais, he's an HBCU guy. But he's an odd one. He's not a, a black guy. He's a white guy from Baltimore, Maryland. He just happened to hook up at Morgan State in 92 under a guy named Ricky Diggs, who was running a combo, run and shoot, triple option. Then he went to Southern University under a guy named, uh, I got this guy, he was the offensive coordinator. There. Well, the, the head coach was a famous HBCU guy, Pete Richardson, really good head coach, Mark Orlando, who, was, who learned from Cat Coleman. Cat Coleman was the offensive coordinator for John Merritt, longtime Jackson State, longtime Tennessee State, I already had something on him from a long time ago that I had been wanting to get back to. I have studied all the history. Walter Camp forward, even before Walter Camp. The Dartmouth stuff before that. The stuff that was happening in the rugby, the soccer, the stuff that goes way back in the, eight, in the early 1800s, 1700s. Back to the ancient Greeks. I'm not kidding you. I've studied all this stuff. Never studied the HBCU schools. Always wanted to. Never took the time to. Deion Sanders is making their name big. I was thinking this is about getting close to the time. Had some stuff on John Merritt because I knew he knew Sid Gilman. Well, Cat Coleman is a genius in offense. And John Gilliam Sr. knows offense. He was a quarterback, but he's, he's a genius at defense. These were great geniuses, and we need to start celebrating what these HBCU schools have brought to football, not just athletically, but with the mind. And the different culture, okay? Call it what you want. I don't know if you want to say it's an African-American culture, but it has a, a looser, more experimental, and it, and it helped evolve. They bend the rules, for better or worse. It can go both ways. And you know what? A lot of great stuff has come out of this, and there's more to come. And what I call PS multiple, power spread multiple. It's coming. A guy like Johnny Coles does a hobo offense. And a lot of his, all the influences by these guys in HBCU came from John Merritt, but, but on offense, it came from Cat Coleman. And uh, Archie Cooley was a disciple of Cat and John Gilliam. 
and Archie Cooley ran the run and gun with Jerry Rice, lining up four guys stack on one side, Jerry Rice on the other, doing all kinds of wild, no huddle, tempo. That's what Johnny Coles does. He calls it the hobo. High octane, big play offense. Okay, Combo of the pro all the way back to Sid Gilman. I'm not sure. I thought Sid Gilman affected Keck. I think Dutch Meyer and his spread offense has affected everything, and that goes back to Rusty Russell, which I've known this for a long time. Dutch Meyer had Sammy Baugh in the 1930s. That's why Sammy Baugh was a great passer from that. That's another podcast. So I'm going to do one podcast on the HBCU influence, another podcast on um, Dutch Meyer stuff. But Dutch Meyer coached with Francis Schmidt. And when Francis Schmidt was a great innovator of the pass from the single wing, he went off to Ohio State, and his protege was Sid Gilman. And then Dutch Meyer did the spread offense in the 30s and the 40s, Okay. Then he wrote a book in the 50s, and his protégés continued the spread in the 50s. TCU, Texas. Okay. Sid Gilman led to Coriel, Walsh, all the pro stuff, Marts, that you see today. Dutch Meyer led to all the spread stuff you see today. Okay. Power spread. The power spread developed from the Flexbone guys and, the, and those guys. That's a whole nother story. Put it all together. Then you have guys like Rich Rodriguez, Manny Matsakis, and you lead into the triumvirate, Urban Meyer, Gus Malzahn, and Art Bryles. And power spread and pro, and that's what we're talking about today, okay? Now, I'm going to just say this because I don't want to make this all about that. I want to keep on the D.C. defenders. But Reggie Barlow, this opened up a can of worms for me, as you can see. What Fred Kais is going to bring, they've had some power spread stuff uh, at Alabama State, a guy named Coe. Actually, when, well, first, Fred Kice had with, with, with Johnny, Johnny Coles. And, and Johnny Coles, Lionel Taylor is another guy. Look into his background, big stuff. But I don't have time to go into all that right now. But so Fred Kice knows all this stuff. It's, it's, it's a pro, it's a PS pro multiple. And when Reggie Barlow was first quarterback coaching at Alabama State, when he went back to Alabama State in 2005, he's under a guy named Coe. I think it's Tommy Coe, if I'm correct. Uh, let's see. Yep, Tommy Coe. And he came from the Tommy West PS stuff at uh, Memphis. They were doing, the, you know, in the 2000s, the Rich Rodriguez stuff. They had Rick Stocksdale there, who had just come from Tommy Bowden and Rich Rod at Clemson. So, you know, Barlow's got that experience. He also has the experience with Bobby Petrino in the NFL. Tom Coughlin had Chris Palmer, a run-and-shoot guy. Okay, so Barlow knows it all. Kais is a heavy HBCU influence, power spread multiple. This is fun. You're going to line up in pro sets, spread sets, power spread stuff, pro runs. Uh, you, big time, you can go big time run, big time pass. I've seen some guys talking about how Kais likes to run it a lot with a big running back. Not necessarily. Depends on what the, it's always what you're given, what the defense is giving you. Johnny Coles is all about that. And you can even go no huddle, move the tempos around. PS multiple. Barlow calls it, I want the current Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to be creative. That's Andy Reid. Well, you know, they were trying to do a, a, a pro multiple, a multi, just a multiple offense back in the day when they were bringing in power spread. The Shanahan's at Washington with uh, RG3. Even before that, Jim Mora's son, J.L. Mora with uh, Michael Vick at Atlanta. Uh, you had all different stuff going on. Oh, how about uh, the Carolina with uh, Rivera and the Mike Shula when you had... Uh, Gus, um, Gus Malzahn guy, uh, Cam Newton. And then, of course, Jim Harbaugh kind of meshed it better with Kaepernick at San Francisco. That was the first time it was starting to mesh better. And then Andy Reid really meshed it. Pro PS. And then now everybody does a pro PS. But before that, I called it the fractured multiple. Multiple fracture. It was a, it was a, you can't just slam things together and make it work. It has to mesh. And... I'll tell you what, Johnny Coles, these guys at HBCU, they mesh it and keep it simple. And it's really awesome. I, I, I really did a deep dive into this. I, like I said, another podcast on that. Let me move on for now. But so what Barlow's going to have, he has a coaching staff with, uh, on the offensive side with Fred Kice. Going to be really interesting stuff. And he also has Shannon Harris, who teamed as a QB coach. He teamed up with him when Barlow went to Virginia State after Alabama State uh, and at Alcorn State. So Harris is one of his guys. Al Vince Robinson was a small school dude, actually was a heck of a player. 
Uh, he played a lot for the arena leagues, believe it or not. But he was at Alabama State, you know. And when they were doing the PS stuff with Co, so he goes directly power spread. But he's you know another one of his guys, Barlow's guys, Cody Grills, Krills. I'm sorry, Krills, the tight ends coach. He was at Northwestern State again, HBCU. He knows all you know all this stuff. Um, did he serve with? Uh, I don't think he was with Barlow. No, an offensive line coach, Russ Ehrenfeld. Okay, Chattanooga. Again, and there it is, Tennessee State. Who was at Tennessee State? All these guys. Coles. Before that, John Merritt, the great John Merritt with Cat Coleman. Aaron Feld has all that in his background. And maybe a little bit of uh, whatever. So this is a lot of HBCU. He's some pro stuff, NFL stuff too. But yeah, so obviously NFL, we already have Barlow. He's got the NFL. So you've got a whole mix going on. It's not going to be power spread uh, pro or it's not going to be what the Eagles are doing. Won't, you know, it's going to have a lot of pro more element like the, the, the Chiefs, I would say. But it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see. Now, on the defensive side, NFL guy, longtime guy, Greg Williams. From Jeff Fisher, from Buddy Ryan. Aggressive. Okay, but more out of a standard 4-3. Jeff Fisher kind of watered it down a bit. And the only thing, Greg Williams is a real good mind on defense. He's really good at meshing guys, getting the most out of them technique-wise, meshing them as a team, going and, and he mixes it up, like heavy blitz one, then heavy coverage. I sometimes feel like it's sometimes too much to the one side or the other, what I would call fractured again. I think it gets a little fractured. I think when he first takes over a team, he's excellent. Look what he did with the Browns recently, then the Jets. But then once the other teams are ready for him more, and, there's, and you kind of, he's got, if he has injuries or things happen, I think he can get a little crazy. It kind of blew up for him for both of those teams as well. But he's a real excellent defensive coach, especially starting out, um, you know, right away. I just think sometimes he doesn't have enough variety on a regular basis. Maybe he gets a little stuck with his flexibility, too. But, but everybody does with flex. Uh, forget that. But the variety, I, I would like to see Greg Williams on a regular basis do a little more variety. But you've got to be careful. He has a, you know, this new XFL team. You can't give them too much. So I would just say, you know, it's an odd thing to say, but I almost think Greg Williams will be better the first year than maybe the second year. So he's a great guy to have to turn around something or to start something new like this. So, and then Jamie Sharper, his linebacker coach and also a special teams coach. Well, goes all the way back to Marvin Lewis of the Ravens, okay? And then he was at the Houston Texans. His, his stuff is, and he actually learned from a guy named Marciano at the uh, Texans, good special teams coach there who was a longtime coach. So he knows his special teams. And he was a real great player, too. Played with Ray Lewis and those guys. And, of course, you know, here uh, is uh, Barlow saying, I want us defensively to be what the Ravens were in the late 90s. Well, there you go. You got a guy sharper who played for them. So that's not going to be that psycho defense that Rex Ryan brought later. That was in the early 2000s. It's going to be more the Marvin Lewis, which is standard 4-3. And, you know, again, so a lot of this is going to be more standard. Greg Williams will blitz, but it's going to be a little more standard. I'm not as excited about the defensive schemes, but I am excited to see what Greg Williams is going to do now. He's been out of football a little bit, and I'll be curious. He's a smart dude, so I'm excited to see what he brings to the table and aggressive. So I'll be real curious. Sharper will be a good coach to have there, no doubt about it. Uh, and then the other coaches you had have are uh, Jeremy Watkins. Don't know much about this guy. He's a defensive line coach. Um, he was with Barlow at Virginia State. There you go. Former standout at Alabama State. There you go. And now he'll be working with so, so He went back to a lot of it. Vernon Dean is the DB coach, and he has a lot of experience. Again, he was the DC for Barlow at uh, Virginia State uh, just recently. So Barlow's, you know, really keeping his guys around. Uh, Dean goes back to the Reds. He played for the Redskins, actually. A lot of his background, the Chiefs under Gunther Cunningham as defensive coordinator, it's standard. It's, again, standard stuff. So this all fits for uh, Greg Williams anyway. And then finally, a quality control guy, Deion Harris, again, was at Virginia State. So one last guy I want to mention is Hutchins, Okay. Uh, Vaughn Hutchins, Director of Player Personnel. Again, I don't go into front office too much, but I have a little bit lately, especially because the XFL is a new league. And Hutchins is not someone you would know as a GM kind of guy like um, Randy Mueller, who I talked about before, even the other couple other guys I've talked about. But he's an interesting character. 
Uh, he played defense. He was a defensive back at Mississippi. Played for the Colts, the Texans, Tony Dungy, that covered that um, with a Tampa two stuff. The Texans was a standard four three as well. And uh, then he was at Green Bay quickly as a player personnel intern. That was one year, but Dom Capers was there. A little different. But then the Raiders. He's been there with the Raiders from 2012 to 2019. Dennis Allen was the head coach, defensive guy. Then you had um, finally ended up with Gruden and Paul Gunther. Again, 4-3-ish from Mike Zimmer, but mixes it up some. Zone blitzing like Zimmer does, blitzing. Again, this all fits into Greg Williams. Not that Von Hutchins is here to be a defensive coach, but he's a defensive guy. Again, this was all the stuff he did at the Raiders was a scout, director of pro scouting, director of player personnel. Now he is that for the first time. He was a player personnel intern at Green Bay. He also helped construct or actually constructed the NFL Players Association Collegiate Bowl roster for the college kids to show up. So he's done stuff. I mean, so again, the, everything about the D.C. defenders are new but guys who have experience that you wouldn't know unless you looked at it more. So I thought I was seeing like a Heinz Ward, Anthony Beck stuff. No, this is, Barlow knows what he's doing. Now, I'm not saying that Heinz Ward or Anthony Beck don't know what they're doing at all. I, I'm just saying what I mean is Barlow's been there, done that. He's been a head coach. He has a lot of experience around him. He's bringing in this HBCU feel, scheme-wise, PS multiple. And it's also a culture thing. I mean, the HBCU culture, what is that all about? Well, I wonder if it's about this. This is what Reggie Barlow says in general about his team, D.C. Defenders. We've cast the net and found the guys that fit this league and guys that have NFL experience who deserve an opportunity to play. Remember, XFL is an opportunity. We talk about the acronym, family, and it's forget about me, I love you. Care about your teammates. Be smart and know we're going to need each other. That's probably one of the hardest things to get them to know that, hey, we're now the D.C. defenders. We are competing as a unit. So he's all about family and one all for one. Now, this isn't anything unusual for coaches and their culture, but the way he says it, it's all about, you know, I've read a lot of these excerpts for every head coach and what they said their culture is going to be. And they're all, it always comes to be everybody working as a team, of course. But it's the way you say it. He's the first one who actually said the word family. In, in the little snippets that I've been reading. So that's interesting. And when you think about it, HBCU, family, sticking up for each other. They had to have each other's back. You think about what that all means. There's a huge culture behind this that I would love to dig in on a social impact. That's a whole nother ballgame. So I will definitely have more about the HBCU's effect on football. For now, I want to get into the actual talent that Barlow has brought in with his coaches. And right away, I, again, was pleasantly surprised. Um, the quarterback room, right off the bat, I knew these guys. Like, these guys I knew. The running backs, receivers, not as much, but when I learned about them, I quickly saw I liked that as well. The O-line makes me a little nervous. But starting with the quarterback, the very first guy they were able to link was Eric Dungy, and that was actually the pre-draft assignment. And he's the dual threat, like a poor man's Tim Tebow, I like to say. Uh, a, a really good athlete, uh, can do both, pass a little, run a little. Not the best runner, not the best passer, not the best you know, QB reader of defenses, but he can do a little bit of everything. I think he's even played some tight end. He's a big guy, 6'4", 230. And once Dino Babbers showed up at Syracuse, bringing in the Art Bryles style of power spread, it was great for Dungy, and he flourished. Obviously, a little too much, a little ahead of its time for the NFL, so he struggled with the NFL a bit. You know, they, they like their guys to be able to, to read defenses in sort of a pro style. And he got into the Den Dallas Renegades, uh, so there you go, some uh, spring football back in uh, the XFL's 2.0 version. And then he had a little tryout again with the Bengals. I think, you know, Zach Taylor's, you know, an, an interesting guy for the Bengals, a little ahead of his time with his Callahan uh, son over there. So together they were looking at him, but still he didn't stick. So here he is drafted by uh, the D.C. Defenders. Now, not drafted really, but assigned, but it's part of the pre-draft. I actually, 
he's listed as a third string guy, and I don't think it's because he's not any good. I actually think he could have been starting for a USFL team. But they also held out for two other guys. One guy was signed with the NFL, uh, on, and he was with Carolina, and he had to wait to get out of that deal. Well, not get out of it, but he was waiting to see if he was going to stay in the NFL. The Eric King. Now, he was at Houston, back with uh, Herman, then Major Apperwhite, and that's, again, power spread in the Urban Meyer style. And then Holgerson showed up. And Dana Holgerson, he's an excellent offensive mind. We all know he's from the Air Raid. Leach, Mummy. In fact, he was close with Mummy from the beginning. But all those guys. And he sort of brought more of the power spread in, more than anyone. Franklin kind of started at Tony Franklin, but Holgerson really was the key to that. But still, it's an Air Raid style offense. It's a certain way they do it. Okay? And it didn't fit King. King, instead of a distributor, is more of a, a total dual threat, a, a, the, the, you know, the epitome of a dual threat. In fact, he was playing some receiver for Houston at one point, but he was a really good quarterback in college, so he, I mean, in high school as well. So he can really quarterback. It's just you have to use him in a very power-spread, dual-threat way. He didn't like what Holgerson was doing. He had a little injury. They redshirted him to see what was up. Didn't work out. He moved on to Miami. And Miami just had, uh, I forget the guy, uh, Manny Diaz was the head coach, and he just brought in Rhett Lashley, who was a Gus Malzahn guy. Gus Malzahn's the other guy. So we've, I just told you the three triumvirates of power spread originating in 2000s. Urban Meyer, Gus Malzahn, Art Browles. And that gives you an idea of what Fred Keiss and Reggie Barlow are thinking here. Now, it's not going to be all power spread. It's going to be pro-style, multiple stuff going on because HBCU-style. But I'm just saying, you know, they're definitely power spread guys. So De'Eric King, they will use these guys in the way that they're made to be used. So De'Eric King won't be forced like a, a square into a hole or something, a square peg or whatever. Okay, Jordan Tamu is the other guy. This guy I know because I watched him last year in the USFL. He did really well for Tampa Bay. And that was Todd Haley. And everybody knows they call him the West Coast offense guy. He's not really, he's West Coast, definitely, style. But it's a lot to it. It's not just the Bill Walsh stuff. He's got a lot to it. And it's a very much pass spread. But last year, Todd Haley was bringing in a lot more power spread. And definitely Tamu was using his legs. He's somewhat of a dual threat. He's more along the, I mean, they're all three different. They're all three dual threats. But De'Eric King's the big time runner. Tamu can really throw it and get, and get that ball around. Um, and then I think uh, Dungy's in between. But what a great quarterback room. I mean, injuries or whatever else you have go on. Now, Tamu was with Tampa Bay and had to wait till his contract ran out. So he literally was waiting, and he wanted to come back. He was in the XFL in uh, 2020 in the 2.0 version with uh, St. Louis. And I know the St. Louis fans were upset he didn't come back, but St. Louis had A.J. McCarron this time around. That's what they went. When Beck, their coach, is going much more pro style all the way. So... So Tamu's now with a, a good move by the D.C. defenders, good move by Barlow, and good move by uh, their personnel guy uh, that I talked about, Hutchins, to wait it out. And they have three strong quarterbacks now. This is excellent. I, um, they have Tamu sta starting, which I figure he will. He has the most experience. He did really good at Mississippi with Hugh Freeze's power spread there. So, And then, actually, I think Matt Luke was in charge of Mississippi by then, but whatever, it was the power spread. So... Three good quarterbacks to start. Uh, then we look at the running backs. These guys I didn't know as well. Uh, Abram Smith, again, Baylor. Um, this was way after Bryles was gone. But still, it was like a pro-PS style, PS pro style. Uh, Jeff Grimes is doing, but a lot of power orientation. And Abram Smith is a big guy, 5'11", 220. And he, ran, he runs hard. And, and he, he had a couple knee injuries, big one in high school. He had another one in uh, college. But he got it together, and his last year at Baylor exploded for 1,600 yards. Wasn't drafted. Maybe the knee, not the fastest guy. He's not slow, but he's not like he's fast to a degree. But wasn't enough. He didn't. He's been. He's on the verge of getting in the NFL with the Saints, but didn't quite make it. So here he is. Real good pick. Real good a guy to have. Another big running back. Again, this we're looking at a real power part of the power spread here that Fred Kais is going to do. Um, and this guy's Raquel Armstead. He was at Temple. Another guy, 5'11", 220. And he's a little, he looks to me on the, on the videos a little stockier than Abrams. But again, 
a guy who wouldn't do a lot, had some injuries, had a lot of, he had a lot of little injuries, but he had a real good year his last year as well. Again, tryouts all over the place with the NFL didn't quite stick. Close but no cigar. So perfect for the XFL. Then another guy named Artavius Pierce, who came along, I think, in the supplemental draft, if I'm right, or a little bit later, or maybe he was drafted in the open part later, but whatever. Another guy, now this guy's a little smaller, but he's a real good receiver out of the backfield. He was with Oregon State. Makes sense. They like their guys, their running backs as receivers. So love Artavius Pierce. And now we've got one more guy to talk about. This is four running backs, but this guy's a running back slash receiver. Puka Williams, big time recruit. Went to Kansas, four star guy, very speedy, four three kind of guy, a little bit over four three. Also smaller. I mean, he's on the you know five ten one seventy, very small for the NFL. And he also had a lot of family issues, personal issues in college. So had some really good production, big time recruit, a uh, lot of talent. He's going to be a, sl- a, sl- a slot back slash maybe a little like that H back like Percy Harvin. They can use them in a lot of ways, which would be really cool. So just love that running back slash H-back room. And another guy that's going to play the slot back position to start is Jaquez Ezzard. Okay? Now, he's a small school guy. Okay? And part of the reason is he's a small guy. He's even smaller than uh, uh, the guy I'm just telling you about. So, but he's pretty speedy, but not even quite as speedy as the guy I was just telling you about. So, you know, that's why he went to a small school. So Puka Williams, more si- a little bit more size, a little bit more speed. But believe me, Ezard's fast enough. He's really shifty. He's really good as a slot bat. He's just good as a receiver. And he had big, a big-time production at Howard, then went to Sam Houston and had a really good production there. He can run it and he can receive. He can do it all. And again, fly sweeps. Jet sweeps, whatever, H-back position, slot back, all that. So just loving the skill positions. And I don't see these guys with a ton of injury problems. I mean, some, some I already mentioned, but, but here we go. Here come the injury issues. KD Cannon, another Baylor guy. And this guy did go back to Bryles. And KD Cannon, again, on the small side, that hurt him in the NFL, but f- speedy, speedy guy, 5'11", 180, uh, had a big production the end of his time at Baylor. And never stuck with the NFL. I think he was getting nicked up, a lot of injury stuff. Well, he's already injured here. He's actually been put on reserve with a knee injury. So that means that he can sign with another team when he comes off, and he probably will. So I think they already lose KD Cannon, you know. Jazz Ferguson, LSU recruit, pretty big-time recruit, had troubles. Wasn't ready for the big time. Went to Northwestern State and lit it up his last year. His guy's 6'5", big, long arms. Has some speed, too. Tried out for Seattle, like a Terry Metcalf type. Didn't work out. Went to the XFL with Dallas Renegades. Uh, and then the, he went to another the spring league for a bit. And now here he is. And he's already hurt. He's on reserve. I think those two receivers were going to be starters, Cannon and Ferguson. They're both going to probably be off this team in another week or two when they come off the reserve list. Uh, Ferguson has a hamstring. So maybe that's why he struggled making the NFL, because he certainly had the size. One more guy with big size, but another bad injury. Uh, Simi Cobbs uh, had a big year for Indiana a few years ago. One with a huge best game ever was against Ohio State. I watched that game. But not the fastest guy, but 6'4", 220, had a chance. in the, He was with the Saints and actually had a real chance and then injured his knee. So even though he wasn't that fast, his, his size was such a, a thing that he had a chance, injured his knee, hasn't had a chance since. Another guy that was with the XFL in Dallas Renegades in 2020, but he actually has been cut. He was one of the last cuts uh, about a week or before the season started here with defenders. So he's out. So you have three guys right off the bat, and that's sort of what I'm starting to see the picture here is it looked like Barlow had set this up with a good draft, but I'm a little nervous, some of it. But still, more good receivers. A guy that stuck with them, Lucky Jackson. Great career at Western Kentucky. Six foot 190 and a, de- a lot of speed. He's actually a little faster than Cannon and a little taller. And why he didn't stick in the NFL, I'm not sure. But he ended, I mean, maybe he needs more uh, work on his game. I'm not sure. I don't know. But he ended up in the spring leagues, too, in a Canadian football. And he's starting. He's going to be a starter. So uh, this is a guy who's a deep threat. And that's that big play offense. We talk about the hobo, high octane big play. Okay. 
And then another guy, and this guy could be a real surprise, but we're not sure yet. Chris Blair, okay? And he is from Elkhorn State. That's HBCU. And he got there when Kais was still there. Kais uh, was the offensive coordinator under McNair. Not Steve McNair, but his brother, Fred McNair. And Steve McNair is a famous Houston Oiler and you know Tennessee Titan or Tennessee Oiler um, guy from Alcorn State. Chris Blair has a lot of speed. Not, not as much as Jackson, but he's bigger than Jackson. Okay? So, Lucky Jackson. So, Blair's not starting right now, but he just came on late. And so, let's just see what happens here. I mean, Kais knows this guy. So, this will be an interesting, another big play guy. Okay? In the meantime, the guy we'll be starting is Josh Hammond. And he's from Florida. And he's not a lot of speed, but a good route runner. Six-foot guy. And he'll be solid, at, at the least. He'll be solid. Another guy that could be really solid is Chad, Chad Hansen. He's from uh, a walk-on at California, but had a great career and actually played for the Jets for a while and for the Texans. He has a total of t- like 30 catches in the NFL. So he's an NFL dude. He's moved around a lot, but he's had some injuries of late, getting a little older, 28. And I think he's still got some injury stuff. So I don't know what's going to happen there. But he could be a soft. So Josh Malone, big t- he's a fourth-round draft pick of the Bengals. From ten, a huge recruit for Tennessee, big time talent, 6'3, 205, and can run like the wind. Just hasn't put it all together and also had injuries. But they picked him up at the last second. So they picked all these guys at the last second that may get in there. So this is going to be very interesting. Then you add the tight ends, and again, Ethan Wolf, Tennessee guy again, decent recruit at tight end. Six foot five, six, six foot six, can block a little, can receive a little, not the greatest athlete. He struggles to make it as an athlete for the NFL is the issue. But again, perfect for the XFL. Another guy who just is a great athlete, Briley Moore, not a real good blocker, but is a real good athlete for a tight end. But he just had a major, uh, I think, a shoulder injury, uh, maybe a knee too. So he's had injury issues. Let's see how he does at tight end. And KL Waring is already injured at tight end. So he's already out. He has an injury. and he, he's, he's actually played some in the NFL, more as a blocking tight end. But he's already injured. And they had one other guy, I think, uh, I don't know if he's still around, but there was one other tight end that they might get in there, a real tall guy from uh, Boston College. I don't think I have him on the, my chart right now at the moment. But let me see here. Oh, Trey Barry. And he's big, six foot seven. but he's going to be playing in the tight end for now for Warren. So a ton of depth, a ton of running back, receiver depth, and when guys got hurt, they just pulled other guys in so right now like i said you've got lucky jackson you've got Ez- ezard you know it's a slop i got puka williams in there chris blair may get in there okay hammond okay so you have a bunch of guys they can use a bunch of good running backs and a bunch of good quarterbacks so this all looks really good then you come to the o-line and this makes me nervous uh we have an issue here with um the fact that a lot of the guys that came in are already gone so I'm just going to talk about some of the guys that stuck. Uh, T.J. Stormont, he's a guy from, uh, let me see here, he's from TCU, Texas Tech. He was a very low, dra- low recruit. He had started out, I think, at a small school. Then he transferred. And he, but he played really well his last couple years. Had a tryout with the NFL, didn't work out. He can play left or right tackle. I think right now they have him at right tackle. Okay, he's six foot seven, really tall, 320. But I don't know if he, you know, athletic enough for the NFL. Uh, Cody Conway is another guy, Syracuse guy, okay? Not a big-time recruit, but he's solid tackle. He's about 6'6", 300 at a tryout with Green Bay. Uh, didn't quite make it. He, he, well, he tore his ACL. So we've got an injury issue with this guy. Now, he's, they're enlisting him as left tackle and Stormont as right tackle. You got a guy, Ty Clary, who was with Arkansas. Not the greatest, but a solid guy, but he's a backup center, because the other center they drafted was Michael Mayotte, Mayotte from Missouri. He's actually from a small school, got to uh, Mizzou, and played really well. Just a solid dude. Oh, he's from Rutgers, not a small school. He played at Rutgers for, and then grad transfer at Mizzou. Really solid guy. Not big. 6'1", 290. Too small for the NFL. But a real solid center. So he took the position over Clary. So I like the center position solid. The tackles are a little scary with Conway coming off a knee. And behind him is a guy named Demarcus Hayes uh, at the tackles. And he was a huge Juco recruit 
for Georgia, but he never cut it at Georgia. He just ne- he's he's not real strong. He never. They said that they get him in the weight room, make him strong. He has good legs, good feet. I, I don't know where he's come at this point. He hasn't played at all since Georgia. He didn't even start that much there. So that's scary as your backup, though he has a lot of talent. And uh, and then another guy is Kyle Murphy. They brought him in at the last second. He's actually an NFL guy. He played in the NFL. He's a real strong player from, uh, uh, what was it, California, Stanford, Stanford. And like I said, he's an NFL guy. Why isn't he in the NFL? Injuries, knee, other things. So he's shaky on the injury front. So that's another guy. So you've got, you know, so this is getting a little nerve wracking, if you ask me, on the O-line. And then you have uh, Rod Taylor, another guy they bring in at the last second, and he had problems with drugs. He was a Mississippi guy. He could have stayed in the NFL, but issues on the drug center. Hey, bring this guy in at the last second, too. You know, he wasn't drafted. He was in at the last second. Two guys they got in the supplemental was Liam Ryan, the left tackle under Mike Leach at Washington State. I think that's good, right? But he obviously, that air raid is a quick pass offense. He must have not been that agile because they moved him to left guard. He's starting at left guard, and they have Conway at left tackle. That tells me he's not that great. And Liam Fornadel is a small guy at Rhode Island. He's, I mean, he's actually a big guy, 6'5", but from a small school. He's big. He's pretty athletic, but pretty slow. I mean, but he's on the slow side. It's 40 times. It's like a 5'5", five, 5'4". Five, five, that's a problem in the NFL. So that's why he's here. So I, I, don't, I like to see guys in the XFL that should be maybe in the NFL. You ask the question, why aren't they? And you see that in the skill positions for the D.C. defenders. In the line positions, you know why these guys aren't in the NFL. It's because of injuries or the talent. So that's scary. So you've got Mayotte. He's going to be a good, I think, a smart, good center for them. But he, and, and hopefully injury-free, it looks like. And that's good. Ty Clary is a backup. Great. But then the guards, mm, okay. They're average. I don't know how this is going to all play out. But hopefully they, stay, they look like they should stay healthy. Stormont could be decent at tackle. Hayes has a lot of talent but hasn't cut it. Conway could get in, keep injuries. Murphy could be injured. Taylor, we don't know, drugs, whatever. And that's kind of it. I mean, that's not even 10 linemen at this point. Now, they also supplemental draft a guy named Catalina, a tackle that was at Georgia. But he, was suppl- he, he had a chance in the NFL. He had some shots and then had some major injuries. He was drafted by Tampa Bay last year in the USFL and didn't show up. And now he's dra- taken here in the supplemental and doesn't show up, as far as I know. So he's not, he must be injured or something. So, again, nine linemen. This is scary. This is a little scary, and, and that's the thing. They have all this great skill, and they're going to have great scheme, and I don't know how it's going to work with the line. So if guys like Fornadel, Maeda, Maeda, Ryan, they, if these guys all stay healthy and they start to form a unit and strong, then this could really be a really good offense. But, hmm, so that's going to be a question. Let's go to the defense. Here I'm seeing it's a little more consistent, not as much volatility. And what I mean by that is defensive line, linebackers, DBs, all the way across the board, I see depth. And again, some last-minute changes and stuff, some injured type of people. That's what you're going to get in the XFL. That's why they're not in the NFL. But also definitely some talent. So I don't see the potential. I don't see the explosiveness that I could see on the skill positions at offense. But I don't see the little bit of danger signs like we see on the offensive line either. So offense, shaky, but could be really good. Defense, not shaky, shouldn't be bad, but I'm not sure how good it can be either. See what uh, Greg Williams, the DC, does with it. So right off the bat, when we go on the defensive line here, they, you know, Greg Williams likes to use, you know, a big nose tackle at times, definitely. Uh, people keep saying he can swing to the 3-4. He's definitely more a 4-3 guy, but definitely has some dumb capers in his background and, and definitely can mix around a bit. Uh, but more than that, he'll mix more in coverage and then just mix his blitz package. Anyway, with N- Niall Scott, one of their uh, draft picks right off the bat, in fact, number run- number one on the defensive line side or the defensive front seven, uh, but he ended up getting injured at some point in, in the camp. And he's a guy that, you know, was a Division three guy, but big, 320, 6'2", 320, in a ton of camps, NFL camps, but mostly just practice squad, has a total of four tackles ever in the NFL. Now the fact that he's injured, he's out because he can sign with another team before he comes back. So that's a problem. Uh, they also drafted a guy, uh, Joseph Wallace, 
and he is uh, also he's, he. This is gets into more of the smaller type of nose tackle types, defensive tackle slash nose tackle, six one three hundred. That's the kind of guy that can uh, move around well. He played at Texas Tech, uh, not a huge recruiter or anything, but had a good career. Uh, ended up well. He had a, a good career once he went off to. Uh, Sam Houston State, actually, once he transferred. Then he actually started. He played a lot. Um, again, a guy that really hasn't had a shot in the NFL. He's pretty young. He just graduated in 21. So, you know, I, I see him probably what I would consider more of a backup sort of guy. Uh, he wasn't drafted till the eighth round. Uh, at the last second, about a week before training camp broke, right before the regular season, they grabbed uh, Gabe White. I don't know if it was that. How? What? What, what date was that? Um, I forget when he was actually signed. But Gabe Wright was pretty late in the process, and another nose tackle type, uh, Karan Reed. Okay, both of these guys late in the process. Both of them, you know, long time NFL guys. Not a lot of starting time, but definitely Gabe, Gabe Wright. Surprisingly, only has like eleven tackles total. He's been around the NFL since 2015. He's from Auburn, was an, an, a pretty good recruit, actually. He had a good career at Auburn, was a fourth-round draft pick, but never really um, did a whole lot in the NFL, didn't cut it. And I'm not sure why. I think there were some injuries, if I'm correct, if I'm looking back here. I think he had, you know, it always seems to be the situation, you know, injuries or something or other. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking back, and I'm not now I'm not seeing that. But anyways, uh, so he's he's... Six three three hundred. So and he's a five four forty. So, I mean, I'm sorry, a, f- a five flat. It's not bad, you know, for a nose tackle type. So he's going to move around. The guy who's actually going to start in front of him is the guy who has played in the NFL more extensively. Also from around 2014, 2015, he graduated from Princeton, Karan Reed, in 2014, and just a really speedy guy for his size. Um, a little under three hundred, six two two ninety something. Uh, but he has three and a half sacks, 55 tackles during his career. And he literally has, he probably even started some games. Uh, Detroit, San Diego, Dallas Cowboys. Okay, so he's been around Jacksonville, long time. So these are two guys, you don't usually see guys 30, 31, 32 in XFL. So this, this was some great last minute pickups, I feel, by the, uh, by the defenders. And so you're going to have like Karan Reed and Gabe Wright in there as nose tackles. Maybe Joe Wallace gets some time, but I like another guy even better because he's just more uh, active. Uh, not as big, though, so he's not going to be a run stuffer. But I think a lot of what Greg Williams is going to do is going up against more spread stuff, and it's going to be a lot of active linemen, almost like a 2-4. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, 2-4-ish kind of thing with two edge rushers. 2-4 slash 4-2. I think we're going to see that sort of a thing a lot maybe. But um, Jarrell Owens, I like this guy a lot. Oklahoma State was actually a pretty decent recruit. Never really shined for them, but did start a lot two of the years there. Uh, did have six sacks his last year. Had some tryouts with Cleveland uh, in the NFL and then went with the XFL New York and had uh, a couple sacks with them when, in the shortened XFL season before COVID. So then uh, ended up in the CFL, and now he's back in the XFL. So I like this guy. I expect him to have some sacks and to make some chaos in there. And then the edge guys I like is, uh, I got to love this guy. The Panashuk. Panashuk. <laughs> this time I had a little thing. To, Mike and Jacob Panashuk, they, Mike was the defensive tackle for Michigan State. Didn't really catch on in the NFL, and now he's playing in the XFL St. Louis. And Jacob... A little lighter guy um, on the lighter side, about, what is he, 260-something, but a, a, not super fast, unfortunately, for the NFL, not fast enough, but definitely high motor, will get in there and make a lot of chaos. The Perfect for this kind of a league. And he's on one side, and then the other side, I like Davin Bellamy. And Davin Bellamy was a very top recruit, high talented guy at Georgia, but never really put it all together. Uh, had some shots in the NFL, but again, didn't work out. He was very dis- disappointed. There was a big thing about how he didn't get drafted in the NFL, but, but he never really put it all together. And then for New Orleans and the USFL last year, the New Orleans Breakers was awesome. And literally, I mean, I was watching stuff throughout the year 
and maybe he didn't have like 100 sacks or anything. He had three his first game and didn't have a whole lot after that. But he was constantly pressuring the quarterback. I mean, I don't know how many pressures, if they counted that, but he was all over. So he's a really great pickup for, and, and again, this was a supplemental draft. He came along in the supplemental draft. Uh, uh Suk was, um, I think also, I think he was drafted, if I'm correct, um, the original draft, uh, if I'm correct. Or was he supplemental? Well, it doesn't really, oh, no, he was the original, round three, yeah. So... Love these two guys on the edge. And then we, uh, we also have some backups. A guy they signed late in the game, uh, Malik Fisher out of Villanova. And uh, a little bit on the lighter side, um, again, like Panush uh, Shik, but um, 6'4", 260. But he did a lot of damage at Villanova, and I like his speed off the edge. So you have him as a backup. Uh, another guy named Andre Mintz uh, is more of a you know, linebacker, but definitely can like come off the edge as well. And he actually played for Vanderbilt, was a strong player, not again, teetering on the edge of the NFL, had some tryouts, actually even had a couple tackles, but just not quite there, you know, good enough for that. But he's a backup to Bellamy, but I like that. So I love the backups here. Everything I'm listing now, the linemen, the backups, edge rushers, a couple tackles, nose tackle. This is all good. Not, I wouldn't say great, but the Bellamy pickup is pretty darn good, I have to say. I mean, he proved it last year, so that's nice. Uh, Karan Reed is a veteran. That's good, too. Okay. And now we move in more to the, the linebackers. And again, this comes from the supplemental draft a little later. Francis Bernard, who, you know, maybe is not a household name. I, honest to God, I didn't know him that well, but I checked his background. BYU had some trouble there, but then went to Utah. Doesn't run a great 40 time, that kind of thing, but he's fast on the field. He had a defensive coach who's like, this guy's field fast, man. Don't worry about it. And and he's done nothing but produce when he's not in trouble and he's and he and he had some trouble at BYU, but he straightened it out and he got under Whittingham at Utah and Whittingham was like, We'll straighten him out. And he did. And he had a great couple last couple years there at uh Utah. And while he wasn't drafted, mainly because his 40-yard dash time was 4.8, 4.8. Now, it's way too slow, you know, for a linebacker these days. So that's the issue, but he's, but he's filled fast. And, okay, so he didn't last with Dallas too much, but he got in and got a couple tackles with Dallas. He got him in there on special teams. This guy's a player. He's just a player, man. He's a leader. I think he's a great supplemental pick here so that's bernard and and one of them at the mic and one of the middle line the inside linebacker the other one will be northrop northrop uh reggie northrop he made a big splash in the xfl last year in the houston gamblers actually returned a fumble for a touchdown the first game he was for florida state a big time recruit had some good times there also had some injuries and some other issues at one point got into kickboxing or something out of and it didn't because he couldn't make the nfl but, you know, I'm, I mean, this guy cannot be underrated. Now, will he get his chance back in the NFL? Is he good enough for all that? I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to all that. You know, maybe not. But, um, but, don't, but don't sell this guy short. Uh, 61205, you know, too small for the NFL. But for the XFL, this is a great pickup. So you've got a couple good inside linebackers. The guys behind them are Jamal Brooks who um, actually is it's a, it's a pair of talented uh, backups here, uh, if I can get these guys up here. Uh, Jamal Brooks, Anthony Hines. Uh, Anthony Hines was at Texas A&M. Big, huge recruit, actually. Top 10 type of guy. Uh, but he, and very talented, but had a lot of injuries and didn't really make it in the NFL after he graduated. Didn't even play much. So here he is as a backup. Let's see if he can reach some of that potential. Jamal Brooks was another four-star kind of guy at Missouri for four years, and he transferred to South Alabama. Bama, and, you know, again, couldn't quite make the NFL, but he has talent. So again, I'm loving not only the starters here, but the depth. And uh, what do we got? Hines, Brooks, anyone? Oh, and Farad Gardner. Knew I was forgetting a guy. Farad Gardner came in late. Uh, pull him in late. And he's got a lot of speed. He's like a, he's a Fresno State guy. He's definitely on the light side. But he actually was making some uh, noise in, in the, uh, uh, what do you call it, in the NFL. Uh, well, I think it was with, uh, who was he with? Uh, 
What do we got here? I had Gardner, and now I lost him. But he was with an NFL team and doing pretty well, and I lost him. Okay, so anyway, he definitely had some uh, good things happening in the NFL, and uh, expect him to, you know, as a backup. I mean, so again, look what we have here. Brooks, Hines, Gardner. You know, Gardner could slash into safety or do, you know, some of that hybrid stuff. Okay. Backing up, Bernard Northrop. Northrop had a big year last year in the USFL. Bellamy, big year in the USFL. Edge rusher with uh, uh, Panushuk. And then you have Fisher and Mintz backing those guys up. And one guy didn't say Fadol Brown is just your standard big-time defensive end style. Uh, wasn't he was like a transfer? I think he was a junior college guy. Ended up at Mississippi or something. Was always kind of on the edge of a good guy. He played a little NFL, not much. So you know, but for this, he twenty tackles in the NFL. But again, this is really good depth. The more I look at this, the more I'm impressed by their front seven. Actually, so again, it's it's really solid. Okay, so let's go into the defensive back side. Uh, with the defensive backs. The very first draft pick they had, he didn't even show up. Uh, Motley, who, uh, let's see, let's get him up here. He ended up at, uh, oh, he was Oklahoma guy. That's right. He was pretty, he didn't play a lot. He wasn't a huge recruit, but he started a lot. But anyway, but he's had some tryouts for the NFL, hasn't quite made it. And I guess he's still waiting on his time. He's played in the CFL too, but he just didn't show up. So he's out. Okay, fine. But they got another guy, Dewan Neal who was playing under Chris Dishman, a protege of Greg Williams and Jeff Fisher, a defensive back who's now a defensive coordinator. He was with the New Jersey Generals, and they went into the playoffs last year in the USFL. And Neil came in in the middle of the year and, had a, and played really well. And the guy was injured, and Neil played really great at cornerback. Now, he's a 5'10 guy. I like him better as a nickel. You know, but he can play quarterback too, cornerback as well. He um, went to a very small school, Shepard, uh, but he's coming on. He's gaining experience, and he's coming on. The guy, you know, so I like him more as a nickel, but he might have to play the one cornerback because the nickel they probably have is a guy named Anthula uh, Kelly from Fresno State, and he was. They called him a tank, but he's only five foot nine. But I think he hit really well. He he hit big, and he's he sounds like a great nickel for a Greg Williams defense. So someone will be the nickel, someone will be the cornerback, and then the other cornerback uh, would actually be a guy they brought in late. Like I keep saying that because they did. They made a lot of changes late, which is a little nerve-wracking to start the year. But uh, Michael Joseph, this guy, supposedly was five foot in high school, <laughs> and he didn't even play in high school much, got to a Division three school and ended up just lighting it up in this Division three school, becoming the uh, Dubuque, Dubuque? Dubuque, University of Dubuque in Illinois, in Illinois, I think it is. And he won the nation's top small college defensive player of the year. How about that? And ended up getting a look by the NFL because of his combine. He only ran a 4-5, so he's not that fast. He's six foot six one, But he got on the roster of the Bears, practice squad for two years. They never cut him. And then the third year, he saw some playing time. Then the fourth year, he was still with the Bears, and he had some injury issues, and they let him go finally. But they gave him a long look. So this guy came in at the last second here, only a couple weeks before the season started. He went right to a starting job. So this is going to be interesting with Joseph, Dwan Nell, who was in the USFL last year, Kelly as the uh, nickel, another guy named Travon Fuller, who was a Virginia Tech guy, if I'm correct, and it took him a while to do something in the NF, in the uh, in college. Uh, he was a pretty decent recruit, but it took him. And then his last year, he had a real good year. He's about six foot, who can lock down, you know. But he's not a super fast guy or anything like that. So that's a little bit of an issue. In fact, now I'm not even. Oh, there he is. Yeah, he was. Yeah, they were drafted him kind of late. Oh, I'm sorry, Texas A&M. It was Texas A&M. Oh, they, he, he was a graduate transfer from Tulsa. There it is. But. Uh, I don't know, but anyways, he, he, but a good backup. I mean, again, I like what they have going on in the backups. Fuller, Kelly, and Kelly would be a nickel too. Another guy named KJ Sells, who played at South Florida on the smaller side, though. Smaller side, but so was Dewan Nill on these guys. But he's quick, and he's done a lot of things. And he's also, believe it or not, uh, 
tried to be mayor of Tampa. He's from Tampa, and he lo- and he loves his hometown. And it's like a weird story about um, the real t- the mayor of Tampa, uh, Jane Castor, um, learned about sales and, and, and aspirations to be a mayor, and has helped him out and does some stuff. I don't know what they're doing a mentoring port program, but that's interesting stuff. But anyways, more importantly for this segment in football here, um, a, a real good backup, a real good backup on the defensive backs. Um, and then the, another guy, uh, Nadir Roos, who was a small school guy, but he's speedy. And he got shot when he was young, but he came back from that and played really well in his college career. A little bit too small. Again, a lot of these guys I'm talking about in the defensive backfield for them are too small for the NFL. But again, a lot of depth here. I mean, Fuller, Sales, Roos, uh, and then Kelly at the nickel, Neil, and Joseph at the cornerbacks. And then at safety, one of their best picks was Kentrell Bryce from Louisiana Tech, who's played a long time in the NFL. I mean, I mean, we're not saying just played. He started a lot in the NFL for Green Bay and some other teams, uh, mainly Green Bay. And, and then he sort of ran into some injury issues and what have you. He runs a 4-4, so he's fast, okay? And, uh, but the injury issues caught up to him. Then he ended up going to the Canadian League, and now he's here. Is he as good as he was in the NFL? Maybe not, but that's a solid veteran, and that's like... You know, awesome to have a that much NFL experience. A hundred career tackles. Okay, so and then his partner at safety, Santos Ramirez, which is very interesting. This guy, he's from Arkansas, okay recruit, and he had an okay career. <laughs> Nothing to write home about. Tried to make it in the NFL, didn't quite cut it. Not surprising, but he's six two, two oh five, and has been really coming on in training camp. They say. Like, everybody's making a big deal. He was on the Jets for a short time. I think probably just practice squad stuff, whatever, but when Greg Williams was there. So maybe he fits Greg Williams' defense. So you've got a guy like Michael Joseph coming on, Samir Ramirez coming on. Neil had a good year last year in the USFL. Kelly could be a good nickel. Bryce from the NFL, all these backup guys. Here's a couple more backups in the safety. Joshua Allen, again on the small side, but from Miami, Ohio, really good, smart dude. And Cameron Lewis, who is not a small guy, he's pretty strong, 6'1", LSU, good recruit, took him a long time to get it together, finally had a good last season, not enough in time for the NFL, but he's right now backing up. So as I look at this whole defense, man, a lot of players, a lot of backups, nobody, I mean, a couple guys that stand out like Bellamy, Northrop, uh, maybe Bryce, you know, maybe maybe Pesnusnik, however you say it, but, you know, I don't know, but maybe not great defense, but definitely solid. And with Greg Williams, with all that depth, you got to feel really good about the talent you have on defense there. You, I mean, depth-wise, this might be the best, best depth I've seen out of any of these stuff I've been looking at. So, you know, now we have an offense that could be really good, a defense that should be really solid. Big thing is the offensive line is going to say a lot for the defenders. They are definitely playoff contenders. And then you look at their special teams, okay? They have a guy named Daniel Whalen, Irish rugby guy, six foot six and can pound the crap out of the ball, played for Cal Davis. He was late to the whole punting thing, so he's still new to that. But this guy has a big, booming leg. And then they brought in late Matt McCrane, who has a long history, not only a great history at Kansas State, and he was a great high school kicker, and even though he came on late as a kicker, but a great high school kicker, Kansas State, great kicker, one of the best of all time there, and he got with some NFL teams. He's made eight field goals in the NFL, and he's made game-winning stuff going back to Kansas State. He's really clutch. His, he can hit 50 yarders, doesn't have a huge leg, but big enough to hit 50, but the big thing about him is clutch. He's proven to be clutch. So they brought him in late. I think this is huge. Most of the USFL last year and even the XFL, you'll see it this year, kickers are a problem. So you've got this clutch kicker. You've got a big, booming punter. You've got Jacquez, Jacquez Ezard or Puka Williams returning punts and kickoffs and other guys that they have a lot of speed. So they've got all kinds of great returning if they want it. This is a great special team. That wins close games. I love the culture. I love the coaching staff, as I've kept saying. I like a lot of this talent. This team, to me, I'm, I would pick in the playoffs. Uh, maybe they beat out St. Louis or Seattle, but they get in there. Maybe only in the second spot. But if they get on a roll at the end of the year, 
and they get in the second spot, I think they can upset in the playoffs and go all the way to the championship. Beating a more experienced team like Arlington in the championship, or even if it's Houston, that's going to be tough. But uh, you never know. I mean, I think the defenders could really... So a three-team race in that um, Northern Division, and maybe because Beck's such a new head coach, they're the ones who get left out. I don't know. Maybe A.J. McCarron has a great... You know, and, and, and whatever, a, a great uh, year, and they actually win the division. I don't know, but that's a three teamer. I like Seattle the most, really, but it's close. And then, but I like DC. I like a lot. It's trending in the right direction. If that offensive line comes together, watch out. 